Hello. Hello. Ow. Oh, Ow. Shoot. What'd okay. you do? I don't know. Something. Why are you so <laughs> creaky? <laughs> Something happened with my thigh. I need to oil <laughs> Andrea. God damn it. So just wait. <laughs> I need to go get my turkey baster and my like hinge oil for the doors. <laughs> WD-40. Yeah. And just like squirt, squirt. And you'll be like, oh, Ugh. thank fuck, my thigh works again. I had, like, a Charlie horse. I know the feeling. I've, I've only done that when <laughs> I've been on, like, hard drugs, though. I, don't, I, don't I know just came from you. the gym. Oh, well, yeah. that's not nearly as rewarding as hard drugs, to be honest. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> By the way, I don't do hard drugs anymore. Don't arrest me. <laughs> my organs think it's better, but my psyche... Knows it's all... It's like, why am I at the gym curse. and not... Snorting coke right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I asked myself that I mean, that's another that way time. to stay thin. Yeah. Why am I choosing the gym way? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's more work for sure. Exactly. Whenever I think of like these things, I'm just kind of like, you know, I could be snorting coke right now. Except the twist <laughs> is that I'm like never at the gym when I'm doing it. It's yeah. just kind of like when I wake up. Yeah. Instead of and exist. being sober and existing, I could be high and existing. Yeah, exactly. Don't do drugs, kids, though. They they have a steep penalty. Yeah. Um, like, your entire life and your soul. Yeah. Yeah. And your organs. Yeah. <laughs> also, your nose. Yeah. Yeah, and your nose. <laughs> yeah. The oh, cartilage on your face. Yeah, I knew this person who did so much that, like, she had some issues with, like, she was in pain constantly because the cartilage in her nose had dissolved in between the septum, so it was gone. Oh, and no. she had this uh, plastic bit in there, but it had to be taken out. And she was like just, regularly, or yeah, it had to be just taken out at one point. Like she couldn't keep it in there. Oh, like it was like infected or just was rejecting or something was happening, and she couldn't have it in there anymore. So she just her nose looked fine outside, but like she was in pain so much. Like she was just in agony the whole time, and like it, yeah. That's when you need a nosectomy. Yeah, no, I think, like, she was going to try to get on a reality show with one of those doctors who does, like, crazy shit to, like, impress their viewers. So they'll just yeah. be like, I'm going to pay for your $500,000 nose surgery. Yeah. And, like, yeah, so she was trying to get on one of those. And you know what? I can see it. She's pretty. Did like, she just have one nostril in there? Um, <laughs> You know what? She never showed me what was going on in there, but yeah, I think so. So on the outside, she had the skin that divided it, but the inside... Yeah, the, the inside cartilage, every, if something was gone. That's horrifying. Yeah, I know, because that does happen. And she looked out in that it didn't collapse and give her saddle nose, but like... Jesus. Most people are not so lucky. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and who knows? Maybe nowadays. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some sort of like cartilaginoplasty or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like we'll figure gonna it out. There's going to be something. Right? Yeah, there's going to be something. Ouch. But yeah, so that sucks. And uh, Andrea needs a thigh-ectomy or a thigh-plasty, depending on which is easier. And, and arm ectomy. Yeah, man, you are always so achy. I... Like, why are you 500 years old? You're not allowed. <laughs> I'm so glad you're older than me. If I were older than you and this kept happening, I was like, oh my gosh, does that mean I'm old too? I know. <laughs> but now you just get to see what you have to look forward to. No, I'm an extremely healthy young man and I'll be fine. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't even say that with a straight face. But yeah. um, yeah, no. So today we have some stuff for you. Did we have a listener email or request? We have part two no. of a request. No. Um, sort of. Yeah, we have part two of a request, but no, I didn't. No, I didn't see any emails. Oh, okay, I mean, I, there yet. were emails, but I didn't read them. 
I haven't <laughs> read yet. the emails yet. Yeah, I try to, uh, Andrea tends to keep up on them. I try to keep up on them like I always read them, but then we have to pick, like, which ones kind of fit with the episode. Mm-hmm. So, that will be a backlog, and you will hear soon. But, uh, I knew this now, was going to be a long episode anyway, because yeah, you told me your case, and it's... My case is... Gigantic. Yeah, there won't be much uh, joking or discussing. Actually, You'll it was find a request why. from me. Yeah, it was a request from you. It was an Andrea <laughs> request. The same. Yeah. yeah I but- was like, I want to know about this, but I'm doing this other thing, part two of a request from a listener. So Lucky you. You can know about it without ever having to see the pictures that went along with the articles. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I saw it, I didn't see any pictures because I just, like, skimmed it and I was like, okay, I want to know more about this. Yeah, you just skimmed, like, the wiki or something. But, like, yeah, because I was at work. Uh, I just skimmed Wikipedia. It's bad. Um, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sounded bad. Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> one will have warnings on it. But first, what are you afraid of this week, Andy? Um, I'm af- – okay. Besides being called it's Andy. It's similar to last week. There is one spider on my balcony that keeps building a <laughs> spider web over my cigarette mug. What? Yeah. Over the mug? Um, so that's, that's part one of my ground. fear. That's part one, because oh. you can only see oh, no. the web when the, the sunlight's reflecting off oh, of it. Oh, so you don't know. But oh. then, so part two is, I went outside and then I couldn't see the web anymore, so I'm not sure if I'm hallucinating spider webs or not. No, um, I don't think you are. I have, that's happened to me before and there was actually like a, a sneak attack spider. Well, you're and coming, it's like, no. You're coming over tonight and you can take a look. I'm not putting my hand anywhere near that mug. I'm going to, like, flick my ash from, like, t- five feet over it <laughs> and just aim right. No, like, I need you to be the strong one. I will flip my shit. Okay, I can be the <laughs> I, strong one, you know but what? at that's, least I won't kill it. That's the only evidence of a spider. Is when I sacrifice and myself No, to like, there's check. only, like, couple strand web. I like the idea of you being like, the only evidence is if you stick your hand in the spider. <laughs> yeah. And if you die, it was a spider. <laughs> it's like, yeah. thanks, Andy. Like, the deadly Cochrane spiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do actually do have the occasional brown recluse, but, like, that's rare. Yeah. Most of the time it's just, like, house spider number, like, 5,093 or whatever. I hate them. I'm, I don't – I can't kill them. That's why I hate them a lot, too, because I, like, I can't kill insects. So, like, mm-hmm. the problem is that I have to herd them out. And that brings me to my fear. Uh, centipedes. Oh, this week? You no, think they might come back all to weeks. get you? Oh, all weeks. Okay. Yeah, and this week, I mean, I could see them coming back to get me. This feels like a vengeance week. It probably is. I mean, you did hurt a really angry centipede out the door once, and he was yeah. probably pretty upset. Yeah, he was pissed. But, like, I was I was telling him the whole time, I was like, this could be worse for you, dude. I'm keeping you alive. It's. It took me two hours to get him outside. I was that dedicated to getting him outside when it wasn't cold outside just so that he would survive so that I didn't have to kill him and fear for my life as he, like... Because he was about to crawl right into my bedroom and I was like, I can't go to sleep with that. That's, I can't do that. Yeah. He reared up on his hind centipede I know, sticks they're grumpy little and, like, things. charged at me. I'd yeah. never seen a centipede do that. That's gutsy. It was weird. For something that's millions of times bigger than you. Yeah, so... To, like, rear up and charge at it. <laughs> right? No, centipedes don't give a fuck. So what I did was I took a giant broom pole and <laughs> used that to poke him all the way down the stairs. And then, oh, and then he disappeared under, like, our area rug for a bit. And I was like, no, no, oh. no. 
Oh, so I still have PTSD from that, and it's fine. I understand that. Yep. So those are our fears. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think they're completely fair, honestly. They are. Um, So leading into something much more depressing, my case. Yes, you get to – so that we can end on something um, not horrifying. Yeah, we'll finish on Andrea's because it's – I mean, it's horrifying, but it's not, like, socially, like – it's not an atrocity of, like, government magnitude. Yeah. So now you kind of know what you're in for after I said that. And uh, additional warnings for uh, sexual assault of children and adults, violence, murder of children and adults, and uh, racialized violence. So, okay. So you, you can tell we're, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I figured. Because, yeah. like, uh, most people listen to this for the murder, but, like, they're not necessarily... There are some things that are very personal to people, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't going to be one of those. Uh, this isn't going to be one of those uh, cases. A punch of the head. <laughs> <laughs> a punch of the head. Yeah, it's not, like that. That. it's yeah, not no, like that. Yeah, it's not like that. No. So everybody, sit down, um, get some whiskey. Yeah. In your belly. Like the whole whiskey, every, every last whiskey. Every last whiskey. Go to the store Just and be get like, yourself I want ten whole whiskey. Ten yeah, ten, <laughs> ten whole whiskeys, please. And one pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The bartender will be like, um... We, that's, I mean, it's you can legal, have but... The, I don't know. This. Yeah, he's like, I don't, well, I don't want to tell you that I've got pot. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he probably does. So. All right, here we go. This is the Mi Lai massacre uh the my Lai massacre was the vietnam war mass murder of unarmed south vietnamese civilians by u.s troops in the son tin district south vietnam on the 16th of march 1968 between 347 and 504 unarmed people were killed by u.s army soldiers victims include men women children of which there were literal infants babies some of the women were gang-raped and their bodies were mutilated, as were children, little girls as young as 12 years old. <sighs> yep. 26 soldiers were, tar- were charged with criminal offenses, but only Lieutenant William Calley Jr., a platoon leader in C Company, was actually convicted. Found guilty of killing 22 villagers, he was originally given a life sentence, as he should have been. But he served only three and a half years under house what? arrest instead. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, I remember. Yep. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, I no, mean, there was a whole trial behind it. So, like, it sounded like he was going to be convicted. But then they're like, they just lessened it, I guess, because he's a soldier or whatever, decorated. Um, the mess, the massacre, which was later called the most shocking episode of the, the Vietnam War, took place in two hamlets of Son Mi village in Kangyagai province. These hamlets were, um, marked on U.S. Army maps as Mi Lai and Mi Ke. Currently, the event is referred to as the Mi Lai massacre in the United States and called the Son Mi massacre in Vietnam. The incident prompted global outrage when it became public knowledge in November 1969, so they, they were not forthcoming. The incident increased, to some extent, domestic opposition to the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War uh, when the scope of killing and multiple cover-up attempts were exposed. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they weren't going to admit to this. Um, initially, three U.S. servicemen who had tried to halt the massacre and rescue the hiding civilians were actually shunned 
Although there is contradictory evidence regarding these servicemen's, like, involvement. Like, they're not sure if they actually tried or if they said they tried. Oh. Um, there's, yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe they did, right? Like, there's gotta be someone with a soul in there, but who knows? Um, and they were even denounced as traitors by several U.S. congressmen, including Mendel Rivers, chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, only after 30 years were they recognized and decorated, one posthumously, by the U.S. Army for shielding non-combatants from harm in a war zone, along with the Nogunri massacre in South Korea 18 years earlier, Milai was one of the largest publicized massacres of civilians by U.S. forces in the 20th century. So this is a big one. Yeah. Yep. I remember, like, I skimmed it. And I yeah. remember the name Callie. And I was yeah. like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, Callie is not a nice. There, there dude. were quotes in him. From yeah, him. I've got quotes. From okay. Him. Yeah, he's. Right. he's I don't not remember them, but I remember just thinking you. Yeah, he's a bad person. They, everyone who spoke is a bad person. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that some people did speak up in order to like get the cover-ups removed. Yeah. But um, yeah, in February and March 1968, Vietnam was trying to regain the strategic initiative in South Vietnam after the Tet Offensive and the search and destroy. Operation against the 48th NLF Battalion, thought to be located in Sonmi, became like a small part of America's grand strategy. Task Force Barker, a battalion-sized ad hoc unit of 11th Brigade, was to be employed for the job. Sonmi Village was included in the area of operations. Uh, between the 16th and 18th of March, so on those three days, T.F. Barker planned to engage and destroy the remnants of the 48th NLF Battalion, allegedly hiding in the Sonmi village area. So they didn't really know if this was even here. Oh my god. Yeah. So there's... Okay. Yeah, okay. it's pretty bad. Uh, before engagement, Colonel Oren K. Henderson, the 11th Brigade Commander, urged his officers to, and this is a quote, Go in there aggressively, close with the enemy, and wipe them out for good. In turn, LTC Barker reportedly ordered the 1st Battalion commanders to burn the houses, kill the livestock, destroy food supplies, and destroy the wells. Why? Because they wanted these people to have no way to survive if they even possibly survived being shot. Like, I, I don't understand. It was more like a message, you know. They could have just to set say. the livestock free. They could have just not murdered anyone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, from what this I read, alleged. it wasn't necessary. No, they weren't armed, and this is all allegedly there. Plus, like, you know what? War is garbage, and we all know that, so they had no excuse. Um, on the eve of the attack, at the Charlie Company briefing, Captain Ernest Medina, this is another name you'll become familiar with, told his men that nearly all the civilian residents in the hamlets of Sonmi village would have left for the market by 7 o'clock a.m., and that any who remained would be NLF or NLF sympathizers. And NLF stands for National Liberation Front, commonly referred to by the U.S. Army as the Viet Cong. Oh, see, now people will understand what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I did, I did it early on. But yeah. basically, uh, I'm going to refer to that as the VC from here on out for obvious reasons, because it's kind of racist. But Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he, Medina, was asked whether the order included the killing of women and children by his, like, uh, officials, by his soldiers. 
And, uh, yeah, those present gave, uh, those present later gave differing accounts of Medina's response to that. Some, including platoon leaders, testified that the orders, as they understood them, were to kill all guerrilla and North Vietnamese combatants and suspects, which apparently included women and children as well as animals. Wow. Okay. Okay, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. animals, they are... Children, yeah, um, baby, literal infants crazy. and animals. Oh, yeah, no, you know, they're, they're always scheming. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, <sighs> cows. wow. I, every time I drive by some cows, I know. They're I know out, they're they're trying plotting. to get you. Yeah, no, yeah. like infants too. Well, really. yeah, I, every time I look at the a most baby, suspicious. Yeah, no, it's like this is. So even if that was his response, and he was like, "They could be, they could be the communists or whatever," then like. Okay, someone must have known that, like, babies and animals were not likely, so... Yeah. <laughs> like, they just went ahead and did it. So, yeah, um, also his orders were to burn the village and pollute the wells, as quoted. He was quoted as saying, they're all VC, now go and get them, and was heard to reply to the question stated by officers, who is my enemy, by replying, anybody that was running from us, hiding from us, or appeared to be the enemy. So basically anyone Vietnamese. Anybody who's Vietnamese. Yeah, exactly. So basically this is, yeah. If a man was running, shoot him. Sometimes even if a woman with a rifle was running, shoot her. Running? They are going to run away. I would run away. If I was being (laughs) shot at, I sure would too. And then you get shot because you're running. Well, even if they didn't run, they got shot. Um, right. At Callie's trial, one defense witness testified that he remembered Medina ordering them all to destroy everything in the village that was, quote, walking, crawling, or growing. Growing. Right? Like, the grass, too. Like, God. Just, like, this guy was bloodthirsty. Plant. That plant, it's VC for sure. This was, like, a message to them. I think. Like, they just wanted to terrorize these people, and these people had nothing to do with this. You know? So on the morning of 16th of March at 7.30 a.m., Around 100 soldiers from Charlie Company, led by Ernest Medina, following a short artillery and helicopter gunship barrage, like, so they already kind of shot a lot of people from, yeah, landed in helicopters at Sonmi, a patchwork of settlements, rice paddies, irrigation ditches, dams, and dirt roads connecting the assortment of hamlets and sub-hamlets. Sounds evil. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's, like, rice paddies, you know, there's trouble. Come on. I know, right? No, like, these were totally just rural people. They're just random Yeah, it just sounds like a rural village. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, these were, and it gets worse later. It's really sad. According to the operational plan, 1st Platoon and 2nd Platoon entered the hamlet of Chukong in line formation at 8 o'clock a.m., while the 3rd Platoon and Captain Medina's command post remained outside. On approach, both platoons fired at the people they saw in the rice fields and in the brush. Farmers. Yeah. Okay. The villagers who were getting ready for a market day at first did not panic or run away as they were herded into the Hamlet's commons. No. Harry Stanley, a machine gunner from Charlie Company, said during the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Division inquiry that... Quote, the killings started without warning. He first observed a member of 1st Platoon strike a Vietnamese man with a bayonet. Then the same trooper with the bayonet pushed another villager into a well and threw a grenade into the well after them. What? Yeah, lovely. Next, he saw 15 or 20 people, mainly women and children, kneeling around a temple with burning incense. They were praying and crying. 
They were all killed by shots in the head. Oh my god. <laughs> this is a hard one for me. Uh, most of the killings occurred in the southern part of Chukung, a sub-hamlet of Zhongnang, which was a home to 700 residents. Zhongnang was erroneously marked on the U.S. military operational maps of Kangai province as Milai. So the, the U.S. military fucked up their maps. Oh, they marked it wrong. They were in the wrong spot the whole time? Well, they just covered all the spots. Okay. So they just massacred people from all the spots that may have maybe been the spot on their wrongly marked map. Okay. Thanks. Like, U.S. like... <laughs> a large group of approximately 70 to 80 villagers was rounded up by 1st Platoon in Jomlang and led to an irrigation ditch east of the settlement. All detainees were pushed into the ditch and then killed after repeated orders by Lieutenant Callie... I hate this man, who was also shooting. Another man involved, Paul Meadlow, testified that he expended several M16 magazines. He collected that women were allegedly saying, no VC, meaning they were not. Yeah, they weren't, okay. Yeah, the women were trying to say, no, no, yeah, exactly, no VC, meaning they're attempting to communicate that they were not enemies of the U.S. and were trying to shield their children with their bodies. Oh my god, he remembered that he was shooting into women with babies in their hands, since he was convinced at that time that they were all booby-trapped with grenades and poised to attack, sure. On another occasion, during the security sweep, uh, sweep of Milai, Midlo again fired into civilians side-by-side side with Lieutenant Callie. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I know. Those yeah. poor women, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> Dennis Conti, a witness for the prosecution, told one of the, like, when they actually had to go trial for this shit, yeah. told one of the especially gruesome episodes during the shooting, quote, A lot of women had thrown themselves on top of the children to protect them, and the children were alive at first. Then the children who were old enough to walk got up, and Callie began to shoot the children. Other first platoon members testified that many of the deaths of individual Vietnamese men, women, and children occurred inside Milai during the security sweep. When PFC Michael Bernhardt entered the sub-hamlet of Zhomlang, the massacre was underway. And here's a quote from him. Okay. I walked up and saw these guys doing strange things, setting fire to the, in brackets, I'm not sure what this means, uh, huts, basically, and waiting for people to come out and then shooting them, going into the huts and shooting them up gathering people in groups and shooting them. As I walked in, you could see piles of people all through the village, all over. They were gathered up into large groups. I saw them shoot an M79 grenade launcher into a group of people who were still alive, but it was mostly done with a machine gun. They were shooting women and children just like anybody else. We met no resistance, and I only saw three captured weapons. We had no casualties. It was just like any other Vietnamese village— old men, women, and kids. As a matter of fact, I don't remember seeing one military-age male in the entire place, dead or alive. One group of 20 to 50 villagers was herded south of Zhongnang and killed on a dirt road. According to Ronald Haberl, another man involved eyewitness account of the massacre, in one instance, here's a quote, There were some South Vietnamese people, maybe 15 of them, women and children included, walking on a dirt road maybe 100 yards away. All of a sudden, the GIs just opened up with M16s. Beside the M16 fire, they were shooting at the people with M79 grenade launchers. 
I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So they would shoot at each other chatting. Um, so they, were they just like going crazy? They were just going fucking, yeah, no, like they were just opening fire okay. um, on anyone. Um, Lieutenant Callie, that guy, testified that he heard the shooting and arrived on the scene. <laughs> he observed his men firing into a ditch with Vietnamese people inside, and he then started shooting with an M16 from a distance of five feet. Then a helicopter landed on the other side of the ditch, and a pilot asked Callie if he could provide any medical assistance to the wounded civilians in My Lai. Callie admitted replying that a hand grenade was the only available means that he had for their evacuation. Okay. Um, so he's like, unre- they're un- not getting out here. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he basically like, oh, the only solution for this is to murder them. After that, around 11 uh, a.m., Captain Medina radioed to cease fire, and the first platoon took a lunch break. Mass murdering is a hungry activity, I guess. Oh my god, yeah. I mean... What the fuck? (laughs) Members of 2nd Platoon killed at least 60 to 70 Vietnamese people as they swept through the northern half of My Lai and Drubinte, a small sub-hamlet about 1,300 feet north of My Lai. Um, Since Charlie Company had not met any enemy opposition at My Lai... (laughs) and did not request backup. Bravo Company, yeah, 4th Battalion, 3rd Infantry Regiment of TF Barker was transported by air between 8.15 and 8.30, two miles away. It went ahead and attacked the sub-hamlet of Maihoi, of the hamlet known as Koli, which was mapped by the army of Mike. So, every area here. During this operation, between 60 and 155 people, including, of course, women and children, were killed. Over the next day, both companies were involved in additional burning and destruction of dwellings, as well as mistreatment of Vietnamese detainees, so survivors. While some soldiers of Charlie Company did not participate in the crimes, they neither openly protested nor complained later to to their superiors. (laughs) William Thompson Allison, a professor of military history at Georgia Southern University, wrote, quote, By mid-morning, members of Charlie Company had killed hundreds of civilians and raped or assaulted countless women and young girls. They encountered no enemy fire and found no weapons in Milai itself. Like, wh- I don't understand. <sighs> How they is this, this like, bloodthirsty It suddenly turns hatred. into mob mentality because yeah. somebody starts doing it and then everybody just goes crazy. Well, and they were so trained who's that to first hate them. Psychotic person. Well, the U.S. Army was actually trained to hate, like, to associate images um, of communists with things they hate, of uh, Vietnamese people with communists, and also things they hate. Like, they were actually, like, brainwashed prior to this war. That's not an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. It's just that I can't believe that that was the case, like, where you're trained to dehumanize someone because then yeah. shit like this happens. Well, yeah. Like, it's Empathy evil. is important. Yeah, you um, need that. <laughs> even, like... Compassion, something, like, yeah. just not being murderous. Um, owing to the chaotic circumstances of the war and the U.S. Army's decision not to undertake a definitive body count of non-combatants in Vietnam, of course... The number of civilians killed at My Lai cannot be stated with certainty. Estimates vary from source to source, with 347 and 504 being the most commonly cited figures. The memorial at the site of the massacre lists 504 names, with ages ranging from 1 year old to 82 years old. A later investigation by the U.S. Army arrived at a lower figure of 
course, again. Of three hundred, Yeah, gee, I wonder. Of 347 deaths, very questionable. But the official estimate for the U.S., the official estimate by the local Vietnamese government remains 504. Okay, so it's probably 504. Yeah. Probably. Okay. <laughs> I would err on the side of caution and say, well, this is a massacre, so I don't they probably know why didn't kill less people I think 347 seems better, but... I, I don't mean, know, right? Like, It I makes don't a difference know. for those 153 people, but... Well, and for the charges that they get in court. Like, you get charged for a certain amount of death, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, but still, I mean... I don't know either. Why lie at this point? <laughs> yeah, we we know what happened. Well, although they really tried to cover up, so speaking of which, the cover-up, um, initial reports claimed 128 VC and 22 civilians had been killed in the village during a fierce firefight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were really fighting back. General... Pretty much one-sided. Fierce. Yeah, no, that was fierce, but <laughs> they didn't it have was guns. one-sided. I mean, that one-year-old and that 82-year-old, Yeah, they were probably not. They were uh, not firing. <laughs> yeah. I... I don't know if you guys know this, but a baby cannot shoot a rifle. Only Maggie Simpson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. so sad. Okay, so General Westmoreland, the MACV commander, congratulated the unit. No. Uh-huh. On the outstanding job, as, relied, as relayed at the time <laughs> by Stars and Stripes magazine, quote, U.S. infantrymen had killed 128 communists in a bloody day-long battle. Gross. Yep. Initial investigations of the Milai operation were undertaken by the 11th Light Infantry Brigade's uh, command officer, Colonel Henderson, under orders from the American Division's executive officer, Brigadier General George H. Young. So there are a lot of high-standing people who mm-hmm. were involved. Henderson interviewed several soldiers involved in the incident, then issued a written report in late April claiming that some 20 civilians were inadvertently... Sure. What? They were, it was only civilians? Yeah. And 20? Yeah, sure. I know, guys. <laughs> like, you're not going to pull this off, guys. Killed during the operation. The army at this time was still describing the event as a military victory. That's disgusting. Yeah. Six months later, Tom Glenn, a 21-year-old soldier of the 11th Light Infantry Brigade, wrote a letter to General Creighton Abrams, the new MACV commander. He described an ongoing and routine brutality against Vietnamese civilians on the part of the American forces in Vietnam that he personally witnessed and then concluded, quote, it would indeed be terrible to find it necessary to believe that an American soldier that harbors such racial intolerance and disregard for justice and human feeling is a prototype of all American national character. Yet the frequency of such soldiers lends credulity to such beliefs. What has been outlined here, I have seen not only in my own unit, but also in others we have worked with, and I fear it is universal. If this is indeed the case, it is a problem which cannot be overlooked, but can, through a more firm implementation of the codes of the MACV, Military Assistance Command Vietnam, and the Geneva Conventions, perhaps be eradicated. Okay. In early 1972, the camp at My Lai, where the survivors of the My Lai massacre had been relocated, was largely destroyed by the Army of the Republic of Vietnam artillery and aerial bombardment, and remaining eyewitnesses were pretty much dispersed, so it became hard to get their testimony. The destruction was officially attributed to VC terrorists. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. The truth was actually revealed by Quaker service workers in the area 
through testimony in May 1972 by Martin Teitel at hearings before the Congressional Subcommittee to investigate problems connected with refugees and escapees in South Vietnam. In June 1972, Teitel's account was published in the New York Times. You can look it up. Okay. And a Quaker person, like, came forward and said, um, this is a cover-up. I, I saw it. Like, so, so they killed more people? Well, no. They were trying to cover up all that I had mentioned previous. But they destroyed the camp where the survivors were. Yeah. Well, um, that was actually done by some Vietnamese soldiers and some American. Um, that was a mix. And then, but prior to that, all of these things were done by American soldiers. But what they were telling people at the time was that, uh, it was a fierce firefight with the communist threat. Mm. And and they're saying there's terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, it's basically like the red terror. Okay. Basically. Like that was what they were going for. <sighs> and this truth came out, which is why we have this info. Um, makes you wonder what else has been covered up. So, many American soldiers who had been in My Lai during the massacre accepted personal responsibility for the loss of civilian lives. Some of them expressed regrets without acknowledging any personal guilt, as, for example, Medina, who said, I have regrets for it, but I have no guilt over it because I didn't cause it. That's not what the military, particularly the United States Army, is trained for. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Well, that's true. They can't talk. They're not. That's what's bad. Um, so on 19th of August 2009, Kelly made his first public apology for the massacre in a speech to the Kiwanis Club of Greater Columbus, Georgia. I hate it. I hate all of it. It's pretty bad. It's not good. <laughs> no. Um, and this is a quote from him. There is not a day that goes by that I do not feel remorse for what happened that day in uh, My Lai, he told members of the club. I feel remorse for the Vietnamese who were killed, for their families, for the American soldiers involved in their families. You should. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> I am very sorry. If you were asking why I did not stand up to them when I was given the orders, I'll have to say that I was a second lieutenant getting orders from my commander, and I followed them. Foolishly, I guess. Well. You guess! Like... <laughs> that is a problem in, in military situations <clears throat> where you have to follow orders without question well that's why the military is fucked up yeah it is i mean (sighs) i see their point in training people like that where they have to obey but there should be um some cases like this where it's like um uh yeah that's kind of bad i mean that's your boss but um if my boss was killing people and asking me to if my boss is gonna rape a child i'm gonna say no yeah so, like, sorry, but though, I mean, know. their their hierarchy is different. Where I think, like, if they don't if they don't follow orders, they get like arrested. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like I'm not sure how it was in the sixties. <laughs> and a lot of these people were drafted. But like I said, there was actually brainwashing like seminars that you can look up online, like the videos of mm-hmm. what they're shown in training. Yeah, and it's all like getting people to really fucking hate Vietnamese people. Yeah, yeah, and okay. to just not see them as human. And that's official army training, so <clears throat> I wonder if they do the same for Afghanistan and Iraq now. Like, who knows? And this is from a Vietnamese survivor from an article at SmithsonianMag.com. Um, Tran Nam was six years old when he heard gunshots from inside his mud and straw home in Somi. It was early morning and he was having breakfast with his extended family, 14 people in all. The U.S. Army had come to the village a couple of times previously during the war, Nam's family thought it would be like before. They'd be gathered and interviewed and then let go. So this is why they didn't panic. 
Immediately, yeah. yeah. So the family kept on eating, basically. And then here's a quote from Nam. Then a U.S. soldier stepped in, and he aimed into our meal and shot. People collapsed one by one. Nam saw the bullet-ridden bodies of his family falling. His grandfather, his parents, his older brother, his younger brother, his aunt and cousins. He ran into a dimly lit bedroom and hid under the bed. He heard more soldiers enter the house and then more gunshots. He stayed under the bed as long as he could, but that wasn't long because the Americans set the house on fire. When the heat grew unbearable, Nam ran out the door and hid in a ditch as his village burned. Of the 14 people at breakfast that morning, 13 were shot and 11 killed. Oh my god. Yep. And that's all I'm telling you guys about this one. No. It's depressing. That's... I... And it's brutal. And honestly, there's more to look up about it that I think everyone should, honestly. We should probably link... I'll link some of the sources that... I found my info at, because part of it was wiki, and then part of it, I just dove into various areas, but, um... So, why, how I found this when I requested it from you, um, was because I was looking for stuff for our, our Patreon episode tomorrow, where we do, like... and this happened in, like, February, March. Yeah, we do horrible things that happen that month, and we release it at the end of each month, so I was like... Yes, you found this. Yeah, Yeah, that's what it is. I was like... Oh, I know you weren't requesting it because you were like, yeah, this will be uplifting. It was just <laughs> you know, a list of historical things that happened in March throughout, like, history, no, right? It's a good case And then I was do. like, oh, what's this? So I, like, Googled it, started reading the Wikipedia page, and I'm like, holy crap. Like, This is actually kind of important given the wake of, like, recent events, like the, the mosque massacres, like the 50 people who were killed in Christchurch, and, like, just thinking about how we are really not not geared no but like also not geared to be compassionate toward people who don't live or look like us like people with different religions or skin Mm -hmm. colors or sexualities or genders like like how cold we can be and how history repeats itself so when i was looking this up i was like oh god but like it's also an important one, so I'm glad it you is. requested it. I can't yeah. believe I hadn't heard of it. Like, that's what I thought when I, I read either. it. I was like, are you serious? How is this not a big thing that's still talked about? Because that cover-up, sure, like, even the attempts at the cover-up, like, exposing it more, the U.S. government is good at this, and that's why, like, a lot of the horrors that happen at Guantanamo Bay are, like, things we don't hear about unless we really dig into them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that, and, uh... Yeah, look that up. I'll I'll link a couple things in the description. And Andrea, you have something a, a completely different shift of I do, gears, so you I guys have, can be free now. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to make everybody feel a little bit better with just you know, with just de- other deaths, deaths that aren't like racially motivated and not <laughs> mass death, like yeah, not hundreds. Yeah, these were terrible, but they were not based on bigotry. Yeah, and they were based on bad movies. I've sets. only got like. Eight or something. Yeah. So, all right. So it's eight hear. people, not 504. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I was doing the second half of kind of a request. Um, we got a request to do movie and stage deaths. And so last week we did a some uh, just a couple of the movie deaths because we also had our guest uh, secret Ghostbuster cousin. Yeah. Brenda. on, <laughs> <laughs> And so um, – yeah, so now I'm doing some stage deaths. So these are ones that just, yeah. I mean, not many were happening during a play, which is what I was kind of looking for. There are a few. But, but yeah, uh, not, these just all happened on stage performances of various types. So 
Okay. All right. So the first one happened in 1673. That's not a shock. I mean, how many safety <laughs> precautions do they have for actors in, like, our year of 1673? Well, yeah. I mean, this wasn't about safety. It's well, Moliere. it wasn't 1817 yet, so it wasn't the good year. No, it wasn't the good year. Moliere. This was um, when we were still young. So 1673, <laughs> Moliere suffered from pulmonary tuberculosis. Oof. Um, while he was playing a title role in the play, he, see- he was seized by a violent coughing fit. Oh. Ca- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, the play was called Le Malade Imaginaire. Which oh, is no, the hypochondriac. The hypochondriac. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, so there's a superstition around that. Uh, green brings bad luck to actors and it's said to originate from the fact that he was wearing green at this time so it's said to originate from Moliere I think that um, like tuberculosis bad luck <laughs> that also yeah and not having invented uh, penicillin yet yeah I think so <laughs> that's a hard <laughs> one yeah okay so Madame Delinsky okay so there was this Polish husband-wife magician duo. Oh, no. They were performing the bullet catch. No. And uh, you can see how this might go wrong. Uh-huh. But they were doing this in front of the German prince and his family, and this is in 1820. So this was a big deal. They kind of had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So things went awry. You don't say. Just a little bit. It sounds like a bullet might have uh, been what was awry. <laughs> I feel like that often goes awry. Uh, um, Madame Delinsky was the assistant, mm-hmm. and she was pregnant. No. Yeah. I know. Oh, uh, no. They used all blanks when they did this trick, and they used a squad of professional soldiers who fired six guns at once at her. Oh, my god! Um, and the gunman did the loading and shooting. Whoa. So at that time in the 1800s, bullets came in paper that was bitten away before loading them. What? Huh. Yeah, I don't know. They were wrapped the in bullet. paper, and Bite you like, the yeah, that's probably what it's from. Hmm. Okay. So instead of biting paper, um, in this case, they're supposed to bite away the whole bullet and then swap it with a blank, right? Like that's how they're supposed to do the bite. Just just put a blank in there to begin with. No, you just like pull it away, and then oh. you're supposed to swap in a blank so oh, that so you just the audience the can't thing. tell that right. you're swapping it with a blank. Oh, right, right. Because it's right. supposed to be a bullet catch. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's what these gunmen were supposed to be doing. Um, but one had stage fright and oh, no. reverted to autopilot because they are actually soldiers. Oh. So he forgot to swap it and he shot her in the belly <gasps> and she lost her pregnancy and died two, two days later. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, they really might have wanted to just make a, a better trick. Why not knife throwing? That doesn't fuck up. If Never. You're a good knife thrower. <laughs> well, not not some. No, nah, it does. You just but have like a, a bullet, right? You you think for sure this is gonna work out with the knives? As long as you're trained, you won't hit them. Oh, he just did autopilot. He, he just was trained. He's to a do soldier. This. Right, right, right. So yeah. he's used to just loading guns with bullets. Yeah, and he was nervous and just did it. Yeah. Okay, I get you. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you know what? You shouldn't do knife or bullet shows. So, you know, don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can handle it. And that's what. Uh, the cost for, for entertainment, good entertainment is these days. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to be like... These days of 1820. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Arnold Buck is the next one. Okay. This was in 1840. Guess what he was doing? Also doing the bullet catch. See? <laughs> no, I'm right. Yeah, I know. They need to stop. 
So a volunteer was told, like a volunteer from the audience, he was like, oh, here, load this bullet into the gun. And then like the volunteers handed a blank. Right. But the volunteer, along with the blank, loaded some nails into the barrel of the gun and fired. What a fucker. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, don't trust your audience members either. He's an asshole. Oh my god! No, don't trust audience members. Who knows what they're going to do just to like you don't get know. some attention or cause some some. Chaos. You don't know who they are. Yeah, no. they could be like this guy. Yeah. All right. So, so there's Sigmund Newberger. Mm-hmm. He was known as Lafayette, and he oh. was also a magician. So, oh. some backstory here. He had a very pampered dog named Beauty, who was given to him by Harry Houdini. Oh, cool! So she was very pampered. She had oh, all this yeah. like. Like a golden bed or something. I don't know. Oh, I didn't write it down, but she had all really this cute. shit. Yeah. <laughs> she had better stuff than me. And – but Beauty unfortunately died four days before the opening of no. Lafayette's show at Empire Palace Theater in Edinburgh. Um, so basically he arranged for his dog to be buried in Pierce Hill Cemetery. And the council – like, this is a person cemetery. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> but he really loved this dog. Yeah. The council agreed to provide it. Um yeah. On the condition that Lafayette would also agree to be buried there when he died. Oh, I see. Right? Because they're like, so yeah, we'll Some give you the plot, but. Irony approaches, or not irony, <laughs> serendipity approaches yeah. swiftly. I don't think they meant, you know, you gotta like, die right tomorrow. away, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, when you're buried there in like two hours. They're just like, <laughs> only if you die in four days. Well, I just, like, if they say that, <laughs> as soon as someone says, like, only if you are buried in this thing, or only if you die. You know, when you're old and are buried, as soon as they say that to you, it's probably just going to be in 15 fucking minutes that you die. Yeah. <laughs> he, they cursed him. That stupid yep. council. I hate councils. councils. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Okay. So four days later, on May 9th, 1911, he was performing his illusion called The Lion's Bride mm-hmm. um, when a fault in the lamp above him caused a fire. Oh. He so basically the place went up in flames in minutes. The yeah. audience thought it was part of the act and didn't evacuate until the <gasps> theater manager signaled for the orchestra to play "God Save the King" because apparently that that's like an alarm is the signal. Maybe that's like their version of a fire alarm yeah. back then. Yeah, God save. <laughs> okay, that's funny, but like terrible. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Okay. Well, I know. And the poor orchestra—they had to sit there and play it. I know. They're like, just like. Oh my god, why is my job being a fire alarm? Yeah. I don't want to be a fire alarm anymore. I never wanted to be a fire alarm. No. And I never had because I make good life choices, but. Yeah, well, me too. No. I mean, (laughs) sometimes I'm alarmed. You just had to like stand there and go, Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, see, it's a good thing that we developed like abrasive screeching alarm technology. Yes. Very good. So, so they didn't leave until they heard that. No. Yeah. Uh, many were trapped on the stage when the safety curtain was lowered and because the yeah. um, the safety curtain was lowered and it jammed, leaving only a small gap at the bottom oh. through which a strong draft stoked the flames. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Lafayette had ensured the side doors were secured to exclude unwanted interlopers and prevent the lion's escape, which uh, is fair. Uh, well, the lion's, yeah. But he escaped. Um, so Lafayette was in the clear. Yeah. But then he came back to rescue his horse. Oh, but not the burning people? Okay. I think this was, I mean, I think they got most of the people out. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, they didn't. That's good to know. I would want to rescue my horse too then. 
Yeah, so he came back to rescue his horse. He became trapped in the building, and he died along with 10 others. So 10 oh, other people died. Okay. Um, and the theater just burned completely to the he ground. He's a huge animal lover then. I get yeah. that, but you and, can you know, save like the people he, too. <laughs> he works with these animals, so he's probably very attached. Pretty attached, But he could have yeah. gone back for, like, all of them. <laughs> Not yeah. just his horse. But, I mean, who knows? He died. I mean, maybe, maybe he, he was. did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's maybe probably he was. just going back to help Any anybody he came being. across. Yeah. yeah. So... His body was found and sent to Glasgow for cremation. Oh. But then two days later, they found another body that was dressed in the same way. Oh, no. Turns out the body at the crematorium was his body double. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, no. So then they did find him. Uh, and they You know, and then they cremated him, him and everything. Did they bury him by his dog? I am guessing so. Yeah. Since they made him promise. Yeah. <laughs> to die right it's away. A really weird... <laughs> it's actually now that I think about that a really a really weird promise. Like, we'll bury your dog here, but only if you promise to be too. Like, I guess if they make commission on how many buried bodies they like, yeah. okay. I think they must. I think probably to buy the Back plot, then. uh, they were like, okay, well, or he, maybe he was famous. Like, yeah, as a bit, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, he would. I feel like I've heard that name. I have. So it's to. probably because he was famous, and also yeah. because he would have to buy a bigger plot right yeah which more which cost more money. more money probably all right okay so another magician <laughs> Janest. it's a lot of magicians i'm not just surprised sometimes magic is just a dangerous game <laughs> uh so this person's name is janesta and this happened in 1930 mm-hmm. he was attempting houdini's milk can escape and he had done Sounds it successfully. Riveting. He had done it successfully many times. So basically, what it is is it looks like this big metal bucket. Yeah. And you get into it all tied up or whatever, and they, it fills. They fill it with water, and then you have to escape, Not even milk. though you're like tied up with chains and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty common. Not with milk. I don't know. Uh, they must have stored milk in cans like this back then or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. So. Uh, so his assistants would lock him up, and then they. would like, put him in the milk can, all, like, yeah. chained up or whatever. And wait for him to get out. It had six locks and a large metal cover. Oh, no. But a secret hatch automatically opened the whole thing when you pushed from the inside, like, yeah. in the bottom. So then you would, like... Slip under. Slip out. Um, but it had been dented earlier that day while oh, it was no. being unloaded. So he oh. got into the can, and then it was filled with water, and he gave the keys to the locks to six different audience members. No. Yeah, and then when his assistants realized something was wrong, there was chaos because they had to run around to all these audience members and get the key. I would have just broken this thing. Yeah, well, I mean, they're metal. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, so they were able to actually resuscitate him because he was actually freed within, like, two minutes. Oh, wow. But he never recovered, and he died in the hospital that same evening. Oh. So just to show you, sometimes you can't recover from drowning even if you've been resuscitated. No, that's true. That's a yeah. good point, actually. But Sometimes plus, don't trust your fucking audience member. <laughs> it's like, I'm well, sure these people did their best, but like, stop putting the the weapons and the keys to your survival in the hands of like strangers. Yeah, I mean, they got him out in two minutes. He should have been okay, but yeah, he probably just got too much water in his lungs. And it was actually his assistant's fault, or like whoever unloaded the thing because they dented it and made it so that they probably just didn't notice. That. Yeah, the trap door wouldn't. The secret hatch just didn't work. All right, so okay. who else? So next one is Carl Walenda. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1905, and he performed with his family since he was six years old. Oh. Uh, basically, they did, like, 
circusy acts like high wire oh, cool. walking or whatever. Trapeze and stuff. Yeah, they did a bunch of stuff. They were noted for their four man pyramid and for cycling on the high wire. Mm-hmm. There were several tragedies involving oh, no. his family's acts. Um, so family members dying or getting badly injured, Mm -hmm. but his family continued because it was like their thing. Uh, in 1978, at the age of 73, he attempted a walk between two towers of the 10 story Condado Plaza hotel in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I hate it when people do that shit. Uh, Yeah. On a wire, 121 feet above the pavement. And you know what? I had read um, that I didn't put down, but when he was 65, he did a high wire wa- walk across like some gorge in Georgia, yeah. I think, yeah. and uh, he did like headstands the whole way and stuff like that. Like he was good, and he was yeah, he was good. But and this like, was when he was 65. What if a was, gust of wind happens? Like you just don't know, right? Well, that was what happened. So oh, high shit. winds and an <laughs> improperly secured wire. Oh no! Uh, he lost his balance and fell, oh. and he was pronounced dead at the hospital. Oh, wow. And, like, his family – so his adopted son fell in 1962 before he did this walk, and he was paralyzed from the waist down. Oh. And his great-grandson still performs today with no safety net. Wow. So they just I, – I mean, I guess that's Super part of the thing. The you kind of know, you know the probably hazards. how you're going to die, but this is your life, right? So Yeah, if you're super into this, and yeah, yeah you can it pretty much like guarantee it. They like, love it, right? Like, this family just loves it. So Yeah, and if that's the case, then that's fine. Like, yeah. I mean, you've signed up for it, and at least it's a blameless incident. Exactly. Like, it's... The wind killed you. You can't really do much about that. Like... No. Okay, so there is a guy named Amazing Joe. Okay. Okay, so he performed a – a year before this horrible thing happened, uh, basically where he would be in a plastic coffin and had dirt cover the coffin. Mm, yeah. Right? And then he would escape from it. Yeah. And he, so, he, like, he had done this before. Um, right. But on October 31st, 1990, at 32 years old, with his children watching and hundreds of other oh. people watching, he was wearing a white tuxedo and he was chained and handcuffed and he was lying in a plastic glass coffin so it was clear plastic right yeah made to look like it was glass well yeah so that people would see him but he would also have a way of not getting shot yeah. like not getting slivered by glass like yeah you know, yeah uh so he was buried in a seven foot grave and this was actually being broadcasted on the radio and stuff as seven it was happening foot. yeah i don't know why six feet wasn't just, was just was wasn't it good, good enough, enough. the yeah. audience were like six feet that's boring yeah that's everybody seven feet <gasps> <laughs> yeah, that's well, crazy. Well, now I'm washing. Like, <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. they f- put the grave in there, right? Mm-hmm. And he was all locked up and whatever. Ooh. And they filled the hole with seven tons of dirt and wet concrete <gasps> this time. So what? when he performed it before, it just had dirt. This oh, time no. he was like, I'll do it with wet concrete because that seems like a good idea. No. Suddenly... Uh, and I watched the video. So oh, there was a video because oh, this whole thing was – Yeah, because it was 1990. It was 1990. Oh. Um, suddenly you see like they're filling in the hole and it's level with the rest of the ground. And then it just – And then it drops <sighs> like oh. two feet oh. in the exact shape of the hole. Like you could just tell – Yeah. The whole okay. thing just collapsed. So oh, yeah, God. the plastic coffin had collapsed. Oh, fuck. He hadn't even attempted to calculate the weight of the dirt and – Well, in wet cement, that's heavy. Yeah, it's heavier than dirt. So yeah, why? By a lot. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so they spent thirty minutes digging him out, and they did get him out, but he was dead he, because you know it's thirty minutes. Or? He 
died of suffocation. Died of asphyxiation. Oh my god. So he This poor man. Yeah. I mean that's a horrible way to die. You're seven <clears throat> feet under the ground. Like Yeah. That's your that's literally your grave. You get. Yeah, yeah, it's literally it. Like that's so fucking sad. <laughs> okay, magicians out there, please calculate your shit beforehand. Yeah. We'd rather you didn't die. Like, you can entertain us in ways that don't involve you dying, so it's, it's yeah. fine. I mean, it's Most of fun us aren't into the watch... snuff film industry. Yeah. It's fun to watch <laughs> you be successful at your tricks, too. Yeah. So, okay, so then my last one. Owen yes. Hart. Mm-hmm. So you probably heard the name, because he's like a famous wrestler. Yes. And actually, so... Oh, the Hart family. The Hart family, and they lived Shit. in Cougar Ridge. Yeah, they lived well in uh, in Coach Hill, but we That's I, I saw the mansion every time I went Coach on Hill. the bus route. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, they uh, like I either had some friends that knew him, or I met him, or something. But I had yeah. friends that would hang out like in his backyard and stuff with him because he actually had. It was a big backyard. It wasn't Bre- or it wasn't Owen Hart. It was Owen's Owen Hart's son, Brett Hart's son, Dallas Hart. Yeah, it was, the, it was the Hart family mansion, yeah. so obviously these were their descendants. It was his grandson who lived in Coach Hill and was around the same – he was born in 1984. Yeah, it's a nice mansion. So I he was in the same little... grade as I was, yeah. Oh, weird. In high school, yeah. Oh, crazy. So I that's how I had mansion. friends that knew him Yeah, um, because – and they would hang out because he actually had a boxing ring in his backyard. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, oh, neat. But I never actually – but of course. I, mean, I didn't. Meeting anyone, I don't think. I think there was someone at my elementary who was vaguely related, but not like a heart. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so Owen Hart, as we've established, for people who don't know, <laughs> was a famous wrestler. So in May, uh, on May twenty third, nineteen ninety nine, he was in the process of being lowered via harness oh, no. and grapple line into the ring from the rafters of the Kemper Arena for a match. Right. So as was his style. He was making it like a dramatic entrance. Yeah. Um, he would be lowered to just above the ring level. And yeah. then he was supposed to make a buffoonish entrance. I guess this was like his character's thing, Signature, right? yeah, like so a wrestler. So basically he'd be lowered to just above ring level and then he would act like he was entangled and then release himself from the safety harness and fall flat on his face for comedic effect. Yeah. So there was a quick release mechanism built into this thing so that he could do yeah. that. Yeah, so you can just bake yeah. it and then release it. Yeah. You see where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like this isn't going to go well. He had done this before, um, but this time he fell 78 feet, <gasps> landing chest oh. first on the top rope of the ring, and then it threw him into the ring. Oh. Um, yeah. So basically... flipped and... Oh. Yeah, it sounded like... So his widow said it uh, maybe... Like, she figures... He probably unintentionally triggered the early release. Yeah, because if it's a super easy, he might even just brush it at some point when yeah. he's really high. Like, you don't know. Yeah. High so up. he did the quick release by accident. Oh, well, that's why I figured. Was yeah. Easy. yeah. I mean, that's what as I was As soon as he said 78 feet, I was like, oh, yeah. that's what. Okay. I thought he was going to be accidentally strangulated. Like, that's why. I yeah. Was, well, I mean, anything could go wrong with this sort of thing. Yeah. It's not the safest, but it's, no. you know, people get do this shit they all the time words, and it works yeah. out fine yeah they do crazier stuff like yeah. in movies and like broadway shows and plays performance and performance anything yeah, yeah like way crazier shit yeah he obviously he had internal bleeding from the blunt force trauma yeah from to like, from slamming on that rope on his chest and flipping yeah. down oh yeah oh that poor man 
So that was that's it. I mean, that's all of the. Well, deaths. That's really depressing. Not all of the deaths. There was like a list of like a hundred things, and I was yeah. like, "Okay, I'm going to try to spread them out for the years because I could have literally just done a whole episode." Of just like the, the 1800s. Scottish play too. You could even just do one of the Scottish play. That's why actors call it that. We actually did a brief performance of it in high school, and we were not allowed to call it that. If we did in front of our teacher, they made us walk outside, turn around three times, spit, and throw salt over our shoulder. What? Is, what's what's the Scottish play? Um, since I'm not on the theater stage, I can say it. But Macbeth. It's Macbeth. Oh right, right. But when you perform it, yeah, you because you call people it have Scottish been stabbed. Yeah, yeah, like it's got a huge run of like people dying. Yeah, I've actually ever read about this. I don't know yeah. why. Why it didn't occur? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, because there's so many that would be a case in its own. Yeah. Like, why is this play cursed? But like, yeah, no, that was a thing. Like, she would give us salt. Yeah. And we, so yeah, none of us said it because we were like tired of going outside and being asked to be let back in. Yeah. So, <laughs> so then you, yeah, you this just said the Scottish school. play. Yeah, so we just said yeah. the Scottish play when we referred to it, when we were going to refer to it by name. But yeah. See, that sort of stuff is interesting. Why didn't I see anything about that? I mean, I should look that up and just, because I was just thing. curious. Yeah, you should. That would yeah. be its own thing, though. That which could would be, be its neat. own thing. Like in the future, we should do an episode. Well, because like if it's yeah. actually a curse, then it must have been bad luck more than once so there must be oh, several was. stories right yeah there's a lot of stories i never and actually heard theaters. any of the background stories i just n- knew about it yeah no there's theories as to stuff. why and oh see that'd be interesting yeah that'd be wild and yeah. that would make me feel better about the fact that I had to go outside once and throw salt over my shoulder. I'm so yeah. mad. Like, I was so embarrassed and, like, Is that three of us accidentally did. what's supposed to be done? Yeah, I mean, she was combining, like, all the superstitions as to fix it. Yeah. So she was like, you have to go outside, turn around three times, be let back, be asked to let back inside after throwing salt over your uh, left shoulder. Mm. And all of them have been referenced. Not all of them at once, but she was determined. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So she just combined all of them. Oh, I see. Well, that, you know, that's <laughs> safe. She's better safe. safe than sorry. Yeah, she really believed in this. Unless one cancels the other out. And we still had issues <laughs> on other plays that were adjacent. But, but nobody died. No one died. Or was injured. Badly. Uh, no. Uh, we got two people injured on the Crucible. and uh, How so? Okay, one of them, the main, one of the main characters, actually, Goody Proctor from The Crucible, she took, okay, this is a dress rehearsal, but it was in front of an audience. She tripped over something on the edge of the stage, like, and she just went down, and I think she, uh, she broke her leg. Ah. Oh, because the stage was very elevated for us, like, we oh, had she a went, full theater. she fell off the stage? She fell off the stage, and it was down into, like, the orchestra pit, and she oh, just geez. hurt herself. We had that, too, yeah. in, in my high school. Oh, and, uh, It would have been dangerous falling off that stage. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. It would have been bad. Oh, and then one other one, one other one, uh, when we did uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, the musical, mm-hmm. uh, during one of the songs, and this poor guy, the guy who played Jack, mm-hmm. Jack Skellington, he had to, he had to grin and bear this on stage, but he threw, he dislocated something in his back oh, when jumping off of something. Yeah, he was in agony. I saw him dart backstage after the song, and he was, like, sobbing. He just had to wipe it off and go right back out. And Why he did a good job. Wipe off his makeup? Yeah. I mean, it looked fine, though, because it was the gothy makeup. I mean, it just worked. Yeah. I mean, and no one Poor noticed. Guy. No one noticed. He pulled it. Like, I was watching him right after that because I was backstage when he came back. I was right there. I saw him. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, explaining to the teacher briefly. He was in agony and, like, you could see him, like, sobbing, like, trying not to 
fall apart. He was in so much pain. But yeah. he had to go right back out because he had another, like, appearance right after that. There was a scene right after, like, that, like, graveyard song. Well, it's where you hard have to go do when it. it's, like, something you <clears throat> kind of have to do and really want to do. Yeah. obviously he wanted to do this part. Oh, yeah. And then all. you're being held back by... Like physical, physical agony. Physical pain, yeah. Yeah, no. He did He did manage to be okay, but he did dislocate something and it was bad. But, yeah, I did um, something once fine. to my knee and I had to perform through that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what enough. it was. I actually had felt something tear in my knee. Oh. And I never got it checked out. I just kind of let it. Maybe and now that's I why think you're my so leg's old. crooked. I'm not sure. Maybe that's why you're so old. <laughs> well, probably. I've you probably done so many tore things to myself. something and it just yeah. aged you. Oh, probably, yeah. Whenever it's this you... knee, I think. Oh, yeah. the left knee. I'm pretty sure it's my leg is she, weirdly crooked. She just indicated a knee to me, and I was like, wait a minute, you guys probably don't know which knee she's It's this about. one. See, guys? This yeah. one right here? You can just imagine <laughs> the knee in all its resplendent glory. Yeah. It's my left knee. Mm-hmm. So imagine the, a left knee. The one that we all treasure above all else. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you guys can contact us everywhere. Uh, actually yeah, tell us your own, like, horrible stage stories and, like, anything that's fucked up that's happened to you, like, on stage or, like, a film set or whatever. If yeah, you're, anything. If you're into that freaky Give stuff. us some stories. Yeah, Yay. give us some, uh, personal stories. We really like, well, not, like, not, like, TMI personal. I mean, you can do that, <laughs> too, but, like, personal is in stuff that's happened to you. Tell us your deepest, darkest secret that you've never told anybody else. So uh, that we can broadcast you it. You should tell us. Yeah, <laughs> so that we could tell everyone now. Because you could trust us more than your friends and family. I mean, you could trust us. If you said, I want to be anonymous, you stay anonymous. You do. But, um, uh, yeah, no. But, like, tell tell us your your shit, whether it's personal TMI or not. Um, uh, yeah. TwoScaredSiblings at gmail.com. Yep. On Twitter, we're Too Scared Sibs. On Instagram and Facebook, we're Too Scared Siblings. Uh, we're Too Scared Siblings everywhere. Oh, yeah, you should join our Facebook group. Yeah, join our a Facebook Two Scared group. Siblings group and a page. Yeah, so join both the group and the page, and we'll accept you. And then our personal arms. ones. I'm Andrea Noel three on Twitter. And mine, I'm hacked, so you can't join mine. You're hacked. On yeah, Twitter? no, uh, not Twitter. Okay, well, Facebook. I oh, right. Sorry, I fucked that right up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, I was not hacked. Please, I was like, please are you follow me on Twitter. Being hacked on everything, right? They're just like, like sneaking into my life. Yeah. Like they, they take it it's personally, and they like won't stop. Yeah, no, like they hack my Facebook and they get everything they want of it. But they're like, ah, but look at that face. That's a hackable <laughs> face, and they just keep going. But yeah, no. So I when am is toy, uh, toy carousels, girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm toy carousel. Everything else. Yeah. yeah. All there right. You so you should join us. All right. Two scared siblings at gmail.com. And now we give you a kiss. Mwah. Mm-hmm. Bye. Sleep well. <laughs>